Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host, as always, Phil Lanides, and I want to thank you for taking the time to join us for today's show. On the episode today, we have former Strikeforce welterweight champion Nate the Great Marquardt. This is, I really enjoyed connecting with him before. I'd never spoken with him, never corresponded with him before. And he's a rather soft-spoken guy, but uh, he's uh, he's got a lot of really interesting thoughts. He's got, you know, very strategic, very cerebral when it came to uh, his activities with, within the cage. And so we really break down his title-winning fight with Tyron Woodley. We go into his strategy. This was his first fight at 170 pounds. He'd been out of the cage for over a year, so... You know, cage rust being an, an issue, and he's fighting a guy that he, you know, had not fought before, and uh, someone that was much less experienced than him, but but very explosive, very talented, very powerful. So we talk about his strategy, his preparation for the fight, and then really break down even specific uh, sequences within the fight. We talk about that very very memorable finish where the elbows led to the the double uppercut, and and just one of the most brutal finishes in strike force history. And Nate shares uh, some details behind that. That final punch and then also talks about uh you know kind of crossing paths with with tyron's mother after the fact and so it's a really really interesting discussion i really enjoyed it think that you will enjoy it too so without further ado let's get to it all right on the line with us we have former strike force welterweight champion former king of pancreas one-time ufc middleweight title challenger nate marcourt nate the great thanks for coming on the podcast yeah thank you for having me yeah, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on. Well, let's jump right in. You made your Strikeforce debut. Obviously, you'd had the extended run with the UFC and some big high-profile fights. Uh, you know, obviously, Anderson Silva, Chael Sonnen, Husamar Palhares, the big win over Wilson Govea, just lots of lots of highlights. And then, of course, some dips in, in your time with the promotion. And then uh, you end up uh, leaving over the, the TRT and all that stuff, which is something people aren't, you know, fans today aren't really aware of, but that was a, kind of an issue for a while. Uh, in MMA and you end up in, in, back under the Forza Banna, banner in Strikeforce. And uh, so we were, you know, it was cool to see uh, Nate the Great in, uh, in Strikeforce making your welterweight debut, uh, which was which was pretty cool, you know, get a shot at a vacant welterweight title, but very high profile bout against rising star Tyron Woodley. Uh, going into that fight, what was your camp like? You'd been out of the cage for about 14 months. Uh, you know, what was your, how was it cutting down to 170? I mean, you were not a small 185 pounder at all. So what was it like trying to cut the weight? You looked great in the cage, obviously. So I imagine it didn't bother you too much, but what was your preparation like for the fight? Yeah, actually, you know, I was, I, I mean, most people would consider me a small middleweight because I, I, was, I didn't feel like you were, you look pretty big and muscular to me, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it was just like a visual thing because I wouldn't cut more than like four or five pounds a day of the really weigh-ins. Yeah. That's, I mean, total. And that was like eating whatever I wanted. So, so cutting down, I mean, I knew people like George St. Pierre was cutting down from like around 190 to get to 170. And so a couple of weeks out from the fight, he wasn't, he was around that 190. And so I tried to keep my weight under 190 in my camp. And, uh, but definitely, you know, I, I wasn't used to cutting weight and it was really tough. It was, uh, you know, I, I hadn't cut much weight my my whole career I pretty much fought just a few pounds over uh you know I, I would I would end up a few pounds over what I weighed in so um but yeah so the camp uh I, I trained with Jake Ramos for that camp and had a had a really good camp uh I had two of my good buddies from 
Minnesota. They were from Minnesota wrestlers. They're, they're from Wisconsin, but they wrestled at Minnesota and uh, Ryan and Kelly Flaherty. And they came in and just basically beat me up for, you know, they, they would cycle, you know, one in and then the next guy and the next guy kind of uh, shark tank, so to speak. And uh, it was, it was a good camp. I got a lot of good wrestling in good boxing, had good boxers to train with and uh, really, really good wrestling. So I was in great shape. And even though the weight was really hard to cut, I feel like I was able to make it that time, you know, fairly, in a healthy state and I was able to recover and rehydrate, which was really good. So, well, you looked really good in the fight. You're, you know, energetic, you had good energy, you were moving around really well. So, you know, it looked like it worked out. I imagine you were working with a bunch of wrestlers, uh, partially cause Hey, Tyron Woodley, all American, you know, great wrestler. And so you're probably preparing for that, uh, as much as possible. And on commentary, I think it was Pat Militich that said that you had said in the pre-fight meetings, you were planning on tiring out. Woodley. So let me ask around the strategy. Did you feel like that was his Achilles heel? Did, was there something you'd seen that, you know, Hey, I'm going to be drag this guy to deep waters and tire him out before I finish him. Or was it just the fact that you were, you had three times the experience he did as a, as a fighter and just felt like you would be able to outlast him anyways. Uh, I guess, I mean, it was maybe a combination of those things. Uh, I'd seen his fights and I knew he liked to keep you know, he's very explosive, very strong, actually. <clears throat> I would say pound for pound, probably the strongest guy. I, I remember feeling his grip and how much strength he had in his grip. And that's a good way to tell how strong somebody is. And I mean, I couldn't roll my hand normally out of his, his grip, which is pretty amazing. So uh, I felt that right in the first round. But so, so you know, someone who's really explosive, really strong, they're going to be lacking more on the cardio side. So uh, I knew that going in, I knew that he was strong and fast and powerful. And so I just, you know, put the pace on him and uh, it worked out right for fourth mm -hmm. round knockout. And uh, I mean, I, I've, I haven't watched the fight actually in a while, but I remember uh, I think he knocked me down in the third round mm -hmm. Um he flurried real. He flurried real hard in that in that third round. He had you. It looked like he had you in trouble. Yeah, I think it was. Was it right in the beginning of the round? It was. Uh, you guys kind of were feeling a little tentative to begin that third round, and then he caught you, dropped you, jumped, and was yeah. elbows and punches and hammer fists and trying to finish you. Yeah, I I remember. I, it definitely it was an overhand. I think or a hook. Yeah, it was it, it was a right, and it hit you behind the ear. It was the second time that he had dropped you with a shot behind the ear. Once in the first round, once in the third round. Yeah, well, the actually the first round it was uh it, he didn't drop me. It was like off balance. You know, I kind of okay. stumbled backwards. Uh, but he definitely, you're right. He did catch me. I remember it hit in the back of the head, or not the back of the head, but you know, kind of behind right. the ear. Yeah, right not behind. illegal, but but was in the back of the head which is ironically where you which, hit him with your elbow before the finish of the fight it was you know again not yeah. illegal but kind of you know going towards the back so yeah anyways, yeah exactly yeah yeah so uh i mean that that's one of the things when you when you have somebody hurt and you really go for the finish if you don't get it yeah it can be really taxing on your gas tank and uh you know i kind of i knew that as soon as Actually, he dropped me and then <clears throat> he started to flurry, but I was able to tie him up. So even though he was like trying to finish me, I could, I felt like I was defending myself perfectly. And uh, 
So I could tell it was going to be a good thing for me for him to use that amount of energy to try to finish me. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what happened. And then that fourth round, uh, I, I knew that I had the cardio advantage at that point. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, I watched the fight last night in preparation for this. And I think it was the first time I'd seen the full fight. Obviously I'd seen the, the highlight real finish, but, and, and so I want to get there. I do want to talk a little bit about the early parts of the fight before we get there. Cause that third round was the turning point. It was very clear. Uh, well, let, let's get there. I want to get to there. So, um, okay. you had repeatedly found a home for your right hand early on. It seemed like that was a punch that for whatever reason was sneaking through, was there, was that where you saw the opportunity? What, what were you seeing early on first couple of rounds? The first round was super action packed, really exciting. What were you seeing those first couple of rounds? You thought, okay, this is where I can get it. I, I just, I'm going to outlast this guy. I'm what, what were you seeing that was, was working for you that, uh, you know, made you feel confident that you had the fight? Well, I don't, I don't know if it was necessarily a specific punch, like a right hand. I mean, that's obviously that's one of my, favorite tools that's probably my best tool is just a either a straight right or an overhand right and uh so but i i i could feel that um he didn't want to get into he didn't want to keep the pace up and so i stayed in his face and was drawing out his reactions which anytime he would react i could feel that he was uh, a little bit tentative on that as well. So, um, yeah, the, the only thing that I can really think of where I saw an opening was when we were on the cage, actually. And so I hit him with that left. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd clinch him and put my head in his chin, and then I would, I would hold his wrist and throw that left elbow up. And so I, I knew I was able to get that. So I kind of uh, you know, we had actually worked in the camp. I'd worked with my old karate instructor, my very first karate teacher. And, uh, we, you know, he showed me that combination that I finished him with. And, really? uh, yeah. So like, you know, the left, left elbow, kind of like an uppercut elbow and then a left or a right overhand elbow. Uh, that's exactly what landed. It's like I pulled my, as I threw the left, you know, before I was just holding the clinch. So I would, I would hold with my underhook and throw my left upper elbow. And I would just continue holding, trying to control that position, trying to keep my weight on him and wear him out. And, and uh, but then when he was tired, I knew that that was the time to pull my underhook out as I threw the elbow and then come again with the right overhand oh, over elbow. And it worked again. We'll, we'll get there. I, I, I did want to ask you, you mentioned uh, you weren't dropped in the first round. It looked like you were, but I could see, mm -hmm. you know, in memory, like being more of an off balance. He definitely looked like he had you in trouble in that third round. That was definitely that punch behind the ear that dropped you. Was there, did you feel like, I mean, it sounds like you, it looked like, and it sounds like you recovered pretty quickly. Did you ever feel like you were really in danger uh, at, at that point? I mean, you threw up for, you threw up an arm bar. And so it seemed like you, you responded and again, recovered pretty quickly, but did you ever feel like you were really in trouble during the fight? Well, so that, that first exchange where it kind of knocked me back and then he rushed in the cage, uh, that was the time when he got my hold of my wrist. So again, I knew it looked bad and, and that's, you know, that's a big part of the round is impression. If the judges think you got knocked down or got wobbled, it's just as bad. And so 
you know, he, he had me on the cage and he grabbed my wrist and it was behind my back. And I was, I tried to spin out the correct way and I couldn't because of his grip. And so that, I mean, it wasn't say I felt like any, I was just like, oh, wow, this guy is really strong. And then I remember uh, in the third round after he did drop me and that was, I mean, I didn't think I was necessarily in trouble, but I knew that he had dropped me. I knew that he connected his punch and I also knew he was going for the finish. So, you know, the only thing I could think of for a few seconds was just defend yourself and survive. and then. Uh, once once I was able to feel a little bit recovered, then I kind of could feel that this was going to work in my advantage. And uh, I, I'm trying to remember, I think, did the ref stand us up or did I kick? Him yeah. Off? yeah. Yeah. The ref stood you up, which was. To, so I, it was kind of so we can talk about that a little bit more because I thought that was interesting. I thought it was kind of a quick stand up. But in retrospect, seeing how tired Woodley was after that. I, I, there wasn't a lot of activity for sure, but I definitely have seen referees let fighters go longer on the ground with less activity than that. But yeah. you could see when, once he stood you guys up, Woodley had blown it. Like he had really, you know, he'd put it put it all on you and mm -hmm. you had survived it. And it was very clear. I mean, he was stepping back. Uh, you know, he, he'd obviously eaten some really big damage, uh, earlier in the fight, uh, you know, this, the first and, you know, going into the second round. Um, so it, it, yeah, he looked like he was in trouble. So I, I felt like it was ended up being even more of a bad thing for Woodley because that was his chance to your point. He hadn't been able to finish you. And now he was, he was really tired and it was pretty clear. And I think your confidence, you could see your confidence was even more. So you were stalking him, walking him down, picking your spots. And it, it, yeah, it just seemed like it had worked out for you in that experience edge was a big difference in this fight. It looked like, so um, let's get to the, let's get to that knockout. So you get to the fourth round Woodley. Uh, he, he, you know, kind of comes out a little, you know, tries to be a little bit aggressive at the beginning of the round, but you land a strand straight, right. That pushes him back against the cage. You clinch, you landed that elbow that, that stunned Woodley. Like you could see that he stopped and he was yeah. really, really hurt. You were able to load up that brutal overhand, right el elbow that you mentioned that hurt him even further. And then that left, right you know, uppercut combo and, and that, right. I've, there's a, a video on uh, YouTube that's like set to music. And it's like this real slow-mo version of that right hand. Uh, Cause he's mm -hmm. sliding down the cage. Cause he's pretty much, you know, he's on his way to being done at that point. And you caught him flush with that right hand. And, and that was, that was it. Uh, so talk about, um, you know, just talk about that ending sequence. You said that the, your, your original karate instructor showed you, uh, you know, the left hands, how did that feel? Like kind of put us in that moment of what it was like to get that type of finish. Well, yeah. So the, initially it was just like you said, it was the, the training with the martial arts and knowing that also that I was continually finding a home for that left up elbow and then decided to disengage with the right hand and throw the right, the right over elbow. And uh, so after I threw that, I rec I realized that he was really hurt uh, from that, the second elbow, right? The yeah. first one kind of is like teed him up and then the, yeah. the right elbow. I mean, I, I don't know if he was out on his feet, but he, I remember he ducked down and it was almost like he was squatting, uh, doing like a wall sit, you know, like a mm -hmm. squatting on the cage. And I felt like the cage was kind of holding, holding him up. Him up yeah. So I threw it. Yeah. But I, uh, at the same time, 
I was like, okay, well, I have to do something because the ref's not going to stop it if he's here. So I threw another elbow. Uh, so there were two right elbows. And then I think there was the left upper. And then at that point, I loaded the right. As I, after I threw the left, I was, the right was loaded, and I ducked down. And as I started to throw the right uppercut, I realized he was out. He was basically just, you know, like I said, in walls like a wall sit mm -hmm. and the, the cage was holding him up, but he was, you know, he's a strong guy. And, uh, but he was, he was out. So, um, as the punch was going out, it's kind of when I realized that. So right at the end of the punch, I actually pulled the punch. It looks oh. the, and no one, you know, I tell my coach that and he laughs and he's like, you didn't pull that punch. And I promise I did. Like, <laughs> it there. doesn't look like <laughs> it. it looks pretty. <laughs> it brutal. doesn't look like <laughs> I know. Cause like my hips were already kind of, you know but i didn't put the i didn't squeeze my fist it just kind of went through and it looked bad because like i said i think it looked so bad because he was already out and wrapped his head up and yeah um and that's why i was i as i threw it i was already thinking it's over so after i connected i just you immediately over right and knew, you immediately turned and walked away like you knew it was like you were you were done he was done yeah exactly done. yeah yeah man. And, and by the way, just to clarify, I'm not in any way accusing you, like you weren't hitting, you know, <laughs> after anything. I mean, they showed it, the replay showed it from the ref's perspective. And as you're watching it from the ref's perspective, I mean, you could have made a case for stopping it after the, the overhand right elbow. Um, the ref could have stepped in a little bit earlier. I mean, heat of the moment, obviously it's hard to gauge it. And the commentators were saying he did a great job. I felt like he could have stopped yeah. it before the punches, but that's like really a judgment call. And, and I mean, you know, it was, but it was brutal and, and awesome to watch. And then also kind of scary to watch at the same time. So, um, but, but it goes down. I mean, it is one of the best knockout highlights in strike force history. And I've watched every card, uh, every main card up until, um, you know, we're, we're about a, this is July of 2012. So you got about seven months left in the promotion. And this mm. is one that stands out. So it's one that you can always kind of hang your hat on, but let's talk about what that moment, you know, getting that win meant, you know, you'd been out of the cage for 14 months, you know, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, pushed out of the UFC, you you're signed with Bama over in the UK, end up not fighting there, come back to the U S so a lot had happened during that time. Again, your first fight at 170 pounds from an emotional, you know, kind of all of that, what did it mean to you? And I know you're a man of faith and, uh, and, and all of that, but what, what did it mean to you, um, to be able to overcome all those odds and, and get this big, huge win and get that big, beautiful, uh, gold strike force belt? Uh, I mean, it was amazing. Just like you said, I'd been through a lot that previous year, year and a half, I guess. And, um, I trained really hard for it. I mean, I, I trained my whole life hard though. So that's really not, that's nothing different. You know, I knew it was a, a really big chance right, that I was given. I mean, I know that, like, I I had a good career before then, but it was, I saw it as a gift from God that that I had the opportunity and I didn't want to waste it. And I, I put everything into it. Um, unfortunately, it was, it's one of those things that actually, you know, I, I put so much emphasis and value into it that it, it, it did, it kind of became like a false idol to me. It was like, 
it was became my identity and and my purpose and you know that was ended up being really bad for me and for my career um there you know you say but, the, the idol part the you you're talking mm-hmm. about the title you're talking what, what do you mean what became an idol for you my i guess what my career which it probably always was in a certain sense but but uh but yeah the the title the recognition all, all that kind of stuff all everything that comes with the fame and just you know everyone's everyone's your friend everyone loves you when you're the champ and uh, <laughs> you know it wasn't like that six months earlier though <laughs> but it's like i you know you forget that and kind of you start again like i said you put your you end up putting your identity in something that you know that title and and the sport and my career doesn't define me. That's not who I am. That's just what I do. But that's a big, I see that with so many fight. I mean, the majority of fighters do that, that they see their identity. Uh, they see that that's their value, their purpose. And, uh, you know, it's, it, they get to a spot in their career and they realize they're not invincible. They maybe aren't where they want to be or they're not. They kind of have that realization where maybe they won't get to where they want to be. Or uh, maybe they get to where they want to be, but then it's taken away. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios and then their whole world comes crashing down. And I mean, that's kind of what happened to me, but it was, it was all for a good purpose. Well, let me ask you, talking about faith for a second. Um, obviously, you've always been very out about being a Christian. Uh, Tyron Woodley um, is also uh, you know, noted for his, his Christianity, um, although some of the things that I've <laughs> heard him say wouldn't necessarily <laughs> track uh to that i'm also a, a, a i'm also a christian and i'm curious as a uh and i've had a lot of people ask me um you know how do you kind of reconcile being a christian with you know beating like not me i i I've, i had never trained or fought or anything like that but you know guys that consider themselves to be christian um you know how do you reconcile being a, a you know, a Christian and, and beating guys up. And my answer was always like, like to them, it's a competition. It's an athletic competition that happens to involve, you know, striking, but these guys aren't, you know, those guys generally aren't, you know, in there trying to hurt the other guy. They're trying to win a, you know, a contest. Um, so I'm curious your thoughts on, on that a, and then B being that you were fighting a guy who was, uh, they, Frank Shamrock talked about during commentary for that fight, that Woodley had talked about being a man of faith, a man of family, you know, being faithful to his wife and, uh, you know, and, and then at the same time, you know, wanting to proclaim the name and uh, they, they kept showing his mother on camera, uh, uh, you know, during the fight. And at one point, I'm pretty sure she was speaking in tongues, like spinning around, like jumping and speaking. <laughs> at one point, I'm almost positive. Uh, so, you know, faith's a big part of, you know, his life as well. Um, but yeah. So was it at all weird, you know, was it, did it make it different preparing for a fight against another very outspoken Christian? And then, yeah. How, you know, how have you reconciled the, Hey, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm also beating guys up. Like what's the, you know, what just would love to hear your thoughts on both of those. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's funny because, you know, ever since I, I, I grew up with Christian, you know, I say that in quotes, uh, cultural Christian. I, I would even see say more than that because we went to church every Sunday. Uh, when I was young, my dad was a pastor, uh, but I also saw hypocrisy, mm-hmm. and I kind of assumed like, oh, that's what Christianity is. But but that's not the gospel. The gospel 
sets us free from sin. It doesn't just forgive us so we can go to heaven one day, but it actually is a life change, you know, and that <clears throat> I realized that when it happened to me, but so after I got saved, I was actually going to retire, but it was God calling me back to fighting that, that that's the only reason I'm he's had, had to do it twice. Um, because I, I don't, I didn't want to fight anymore because it had been my idol, but the fact of, of like some people, their objection is, you know, violence or whatever, but I don't see it that way. I see it just like you said, it's a sport, uh, any sport you play that's physical, you know, football, hockey, whatever, there's, there's that aspect of you're going to hurt someone. You could hurt someone. Um, but you know, I, <clears throat> I grew up doing martial arts and you're always taught how to do things to finish your opponent without, you know, causing irreparable damage. So you're not, you're not trying to break their spine. You're trying to choke them out. You know, you're, you're not trying to break their leg. You want them to tap out. Yeah. And something they'll recover from immediately or not have sustained damage from. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I, I mean, it is in a way it is a brutal sport. It, it is. Uh, and I'm not going to say it's, it's not, but it's not, there's no, the intent behind it is not to hurt the person. The intent is competition. Um, well, it depends and, on the, you know, it depends I, on the fighter. Cause there, well, there true, are some true. that don't feel that way. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You're right. But, uh, you know, I, I read the Bible and my Bible says that God is a warrior. So I, I don't, uh, you know, that he wrestled with Jacob. And, uh, so I, I see, I see God in a different light than people that see him kind of as this gentle, uh, meek, meek, spineless, you know, no, you know, no fighting yeah. type. You always yeah, hear right. flip, flipping tables. And, you know, when, when, when time came, he didn't there's a time. Yeah, yeah there's exactly. A time for it. So yeah, God, God is love. And sometimes love says you got to flip some tables over. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, but yeah, you're, you're talking about Tyrone, his faith, his mom, actually, it's funny because I could hear her in the fight. Oh, everybody could hear her in the fight. My God, she was so <laughs> loud. I could hear her through Frank and Mauro. And you could hear them on, hear her on the broadcast. Like mm -hmm. I remember I, like I, like I said, I was watching it last night and I made, you know, was making notes for the episode that we're going to do on that card. And I was just like, I, I would have been annoyed, honestly, like if it was me, like mom, calm down, but that's, you know, that's, 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 Hey, you know, he, he seemed to enjoy it. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. Everybody in the arena could hear her. As my yeah. Brother. Yeah. She, she was super loud. Uh, I mean, it, the, the crowd was like a very educated crowd. They weren't just screaming and stuff. They, they were all watching and cheering when stuff would happen. And, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, you could hear her very clearly. And I remember specifically, at least once in the fight where I had him on the cage and I was thinking, Oh yeah, he's tired. But then his mom starts like screaming and it was like, it gave him energy. And I was like, Oh man, his, his mom is not easy quiet. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So he, he, he definitely, uh, <laughs> he was listening to her. I <laughs> Well, drawing strength, I guess. So, but I do want to make sure I get the the question. Was it is it weird or different or cool or anything as far as preparing for a fight? Where to your point, like you're, it's a competition. You're not necessarily trying to hurt the other person, but knowing the other person is a Christian, 
uh, you know, of the same faith, does that in any way affect your mindset positively or negatively, you know, going, going into the fight? Uh, I'm trying to think of all the guys I've fought that were Christian. And I don't, I don't think it, it did negative or positive. It wasn't anything. Just another competition, basically another game, so to speak. Yeah, actually, I know that before the fight, knowing the guy was a Christian, it's like I, I felt that kind of love for him. And, you know, especially somebody like Vitor Belfort, who I know is, uh, is a real Christian, that he's outspoken and he lives righteously, you know, and, and you know, I had a connection with him that I wouldn't with somebody who wasn't like that. But w- when it comes to the fight, I don't think it's just competition. You know, I don't see, I don't know if that you, you really can think about the person's personality or like who the person is once you're in there, once you're competing that way. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I I gotta ask, did you have any, because they never showed Tyron's mom on camera again after the knockout was cute. I'm curious if you ever actually cross paths with her that night, if like, there was any sort of interaction between the two of you after the fight and, and Tyron's wife was there as well. Yeah, I did. Uh, I talked to Tyron's mom and I think my wife was there with me and uh, she talked to us and she was, she was a very sweet lady. Okay. And I kind of had this compassion for her because it, I knew it was a, a brutal knockout and I yeah. just was, but she was overwhelmingly nice to us wow. and, and uh, just, not only that, like she, cause she knows I'm a Christian too. And, and she was basically saying, Hey, like this, you know, this is God's plan for you and that Tyron's going to learn from it. And so she saw the good in the bad. And that's, that's, that, you know, I think it was a really good conversation we had. Good. That's a cool, I'm sure that was a cool moment that, that Mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear that they didn't obviously didn't show anything like that on camera. So I was, I was curious if you, you know, especially with her yelling for her son the entire fight. I was curious if you had cross paths her. Well, we're yeah. almost we're, we're almost done here. Um, I did want to ask a couple two final questions. Um, I know you came out of retirement as we record this. It's February of 2022. You came out of retirement uh, mm-hmm. last year. You fought twice, split a couple of bouts. Are 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 you back full time fighting? What else are you up to? Is there anything you want to promote? But what's going on with Nate the Great at this point? Yeah, so I'm I'm back fighting. Uh, like I said before, got, you know, I retired in 2017 and beginning in 2018, God very clearly called me back to fight, which is crazy to me. Um, but that's, um, that's, I can't really say anything about it, but because that's what happened. So, uh, <clears throat> so, but I was also in seminary. I, I completed seminary oh. in 2020. And then that's when I, uh, we left Colorado and started bouncing around. Well, actually, we were going to go to Thailand, and I was going to train there, and we weren't able to get there, and that's how we ended up here in Florida. Uh, so we've been here just over a year training, and I took the fight. I took the first fight. I think it was August last year, mm-hmm. my first fight back. So August of 2021, uh, had two fights last year, and still training, still training full-time but also I'm I'm, right now I'm back in school I have probably another year and a half of school to get my doctorate uh and I'm gonna do a you know in when you get your doctorate if you're doing like a PhD it's it's a 
a knowledge-based doctorate where you, you have to write a dissertation. And uh, so we have part of the program is knowledge-based where you have to write. So we still have to write like a 150 page project uh, report, but it's more uh, ministry-based. And uh, so yeah, last year I went to Pakistan and uh, we did some preaching there. I thought I was going to end up doing the ministry on that because we, we started a couple schools there uh, for like a, a couple of Christian schools in like really super poor villages where the people are basically they're slaves, they're indentured servants, and it's a kind of trafficking, you know, human trafficking. Mm. So uh, I assumed my project was going to be on that. But then recently, I we started working on the project. And through prayer, I believe we're going to do uh, like a podcast or some kind of, you know, video podcast, whatever it is, some kind of media outlet. So that, I'm going to start that as, as my project. Awesome. So that's kind of, that, I'm really excited about that surprisingly, because normally I hate this kind of stuff and, <laughs> and social media and all that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't really like it uh, especially because it's a you know, it's used the wrong way so much that that's kind of all you see. But yeah, that's that's what I'll, that's what I'm up to raising my four little kids here in F Florida and just training and doing whatever God calls me to. We we uh, we have a Bible study at the gym right now that meets every week. Uh, we also meet at my home once a week and uh, you know prayer and worship and so read the Word. So awesome. Yeah, life nice. is very very full and busy, but also. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It sounds, uh, sounds enriched. Sounds like a, yeah. living a good life. Awesome. All right, right. Well, final question. Um, just going back to MMA one more time, but you, a lot of big wins in your career, Eve Edwards early on, Jeremy Horn, Martin Kamen, Damian Maya, very memorable 21 second knockout there. Who's small part Harris. And then of course, uh, Tyron Woodley, uh, is there any fight, any win that sticks out in your mind is like, is it the Woodley one? Because you got the title with that. So one of the pancreas fights, what really sticks out in your mind is, hey, this is my crowning achievement in MMA. And yeah, that's only part of your life. But what what, what sticks out in your mind is like, this is the fight that, you know, this is if somebody was going to go back and watch Nate Marquardt fights, you, which one would you point him to? What what really sticks out in your mind? Yeah, I would say that would probably be the top one would be the Woodley fight. Although also the first time I won the pancreas belt was it's, it's the trials that you go through beforehand that really make something special. And, and especially when the odds are against you. And uh, so that was one of them. I was like the sickest I've ever been on fight day, like sickest I've ever been in my life. And I was that sick on fight day. Uh, and I, I was able to win the title uh, two fights that night too. Was, so that was, was that a, one of the, was big... it one of the tournament ones where you had multiple fights in one night? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was big because it was my first world title and first, uh, you know, because of the sickness and all that. And I had another couple, a couple other ones that went when I fought Kunioku for the third time, or sorry, it was the fourth time we fought. First time I beat him by his decision. Second time was a draw. Third time he won the decision. And then the fourth time for the title, for me to regain the title from him, uh, I was able to knock him out in the third round and, uh, so that was a really special one. And also there's a guy named 
uh, Kazuo Misaki, yeah. who's super tough guy over yeah. in Japan. And, and he was one of my last title fights over there in Japan. I think you so fought that, him twice, right? I think he beat you the first time you beat him the second time. No, the first time I, uh, I threw him like 20 seconds in, actually he tried to take me down and I reversed it with a throw and he put his arm out and it broke, like it okay. folded under. And then, so we rematched and it was a decision win, but he, you know, he was, he's one of the toughest guys I ever fought. And uh, so that was special as well. Yeah, I guess I have a lot of special, but you're probably right. I think the Woodley fight is maybe the, the top one, just yeah, prestige it's a really, and all that stuff. <laughs> and it's a really complete fight. You know, you you yeah. bit, you got hurt, but you were able to, you know, withstand that and you showed some really good striking. You know, you were able to even show a little flash a little bit of your submission game. So and then obviously the highlight real knockout. And I again I'm not a fighter, so this is just me conjecturing here, but um you know, when a fight goes into when you get a finish later in the fight and you've been through a bunch to get to that point. I would think it means more than just that 21 second, you know, knockout where you don't really get to show anything and you not got lucky, but you, you know, you, you, you don't get to show as much. You didn't, you know, you didn't get to put in a night of work or anything like that. And I'm sure probably most fighters would prefer that because, you know, then you don't put your body through as much that night and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, it's nice to see like a full, you know, a really full fight that you get to finish at the end of, and it was a great performance. So, uh, and no, definitely no, yeah. no pun intended by saying great performance, but. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, I, I think it, you're, you're right. Because after the, you know, those quick fights, you haven't spent any energy. It's like, well, sure. I trained all this time for just 20 right, seconds. Right. And, I'm sure. And uh, <laughs> the, at least those other fights, you go home and you can sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Knowing you've expended all that energy. Exactly, by the way, do you, yeah. do you still have the, uh, you still have that strike force belt by, by chance? I'm just curious. I do. Uh, so we had some of our stuff in storage in Colorado and then we shipped it out here, but not all of it. So I don't know if it's here or in Colorado. Oh, okay. I actually don't know. I guess it's not that much of an idol to you somewhere. then if you're not, you're yeah. not. they, I, I love the strike force belts. Like I, I really, I thought they were like the right tin of gold and kind of with that red in there from the, like, I just thought they were beautiful belts. So yeah. Uh, if you cool. ever feel like it's becoming an idol and you, it, you just, you let me know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> But uh, Nate, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It was great connecting with you. I've never actually spoken with you before, so I really enjoyed kind of getting to know you a little bit. And it's awesome to hear what's going on in your life. And, and you know, God bless on your uh, your, your your podcast and everything else that you're going to end up going, going forward with. But thank you for taking the time to be on Inside the Hexagon. Thank you so much, Phil. God bless you, too. All right. I want to thank my very special guest, Nate Marquardt, for taking the time to join me on Inside the Hexagon. I really appreciate him diving in deep on this fight, talking about, uh, you know, this this scrap with Tyron Woodley and, you know, how it went, his preparation. And, you know, again, specific instances during the fight, him being in trouble, him getting Tyron in trouble. And then again, those brutal elbows that that led to those you know, the, the famous double uppercut that ended things. And, you know, Nate sharing that he really didn't go full blast on that very last punch. He saw that Tyron was out and kind of pulled his punch a little bit, even if uh, his coach and probably a bunch of other people wouldn't, wouldn't believe that uh, it, it was, I really appreciated him sharing that. I believe, I believe him for the record, but uh, you know, it was very, very interesting to dive into all of that. Hope that you found it interesting as well, that you enjoyed it as much as I did uh, looking ahead. We've only got,
got a handful of episodes left. Uh, we're going to be covering next Rousey versus Kaufman, which, as again, you might have guessed, Ronda Rousey puts her belt on the line against former Strikeforce Women's Bantamweight champion Sarah Kaufman. Uh, we also see Hinaldo Jacare Souza take on Derek Brunson. Uh, Tarek, uh, Tarek Safadine takes on Roger Bowling, Anthony Smith. Uh, battles Lumumba Sayers and then OSP Ovent St. Pro is back to take on TJ Cook. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. After that, we've only got one more Strike Force card. That's it. Uh, and then we're supposed to speak with Ryan Couture, son of Randy the Natural. Couture fought multiple times for Strike Force. So we're, we're going to connect with Ryan. Looking forward to, to discussing things with him. And then we're going to do a farewell episode. Still working on uh, who our guest is going to be for that. And Josh and I will uh, will jump in and talk, you know, a ton about Strike Force as a promotion. But yeah, just really just uh, just four episodes left after this one. So again, appreciate your time, appreciate your support. If you do want to hit me up, you can reach me at Phil at insidethehexagon.com. I would love to hear from you. But with that, we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset. We hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy, and we will see you soon. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dino Tripodis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.